0: A focus summary of part one of Gogol's The Cloak. Our story begins in a certain department, which one, our narrator Riley tells us, it is better not to say, since departments of public service are the touchiest of all things, and inclined to see their whole class insulted when one of its representatives is attacked. The lens is then narrowed on a certain unremarkable official in that department, described as short, pockmarked, red-haired, mole-eyed, bald, wrinkled, and sanguine. He is a perpetual titular counselor, a position very low in the Russian table of ranks, and one that is therefore the butt of many a writer's jokes. His very name seemed to doom him to the low life of a titular counselor. On his naming day, his mother declared all the names of the saints that could be found in the church calendar awful, and christened him instead Akaki Akakievich, a name notable for its dull repetition of sounds, and because, I have been told, those sounds call to mind the Russian word for excrement. No one knew why or how Akaki entered the department. It was as if he had always been a copying clerk, born in uniform with a bald head. No one, neither his superiors, his co-workers, nor even the porter, treated him with any respect. The young officials laughed at and made fun of him, but he ignored them as well as if they were not there, never making a single mistake on his work. Sometimes, however, when their joking became unbearable, he would say in a tone deeply pitiful, "'Leave me alone. Why do you insult me?' Once, these words made a newcomer, who had joined his comrades in making sport of a cocky, undergo a sort of transformation." Long afterward he would recall with shame the heart-rending plea of the little official, and hear resounding within it the words, I am thy brother. Then he would shudder at the thought of the inhumanity that could be concealed behind worldly refinement. Akaki lived to copy. Had his rank been in proportion to his zeal, he would have been a counsellor of state— When, in reward for long service, he was promoted to a position that involved a trivial amount of editing, this caused him so much toil that he pleaded instead for something to copy. After that, they let him copy on forever. It was as if nothing else existed outside his copying. He cared nothing for his clothes, which were drab and seemed always to have something sticking to them. He gave no heed to what was happening on the street which often led him beneath a window, just as the rubbish was being flung out. At home, he would sip his soup, never noticing the taste, until his stomach started to swell, and then set back to work copying, either papers he brought home, or others he took for his own gratification. Even at that hour when all men strove to divert themselves, going to the theater, chasing women, visiting their comrades, playing whist, smoking pipes, and gossiping, a cocky indulged in no kind of diversion, having written to his heart's content, he went to sleep, dreaming of what he might copy on the morrow. Thus flowed his peaceful life of contentment, and thus it would have continued to flow had he not faced one of those inevitable ills strewn across the lives of all men, even titular counsellors. Poor men face a powerful foe in St. Petersburg the northern cold, against which they are often unprotected by their thin little cloaks. One day, Akaki felt the pain of the cold with particular poignancy. Upon inspection, he discovered that his cloak, an ugly, baggy, poorly patched garment that had often been an object of ridicule to the officials, had worn to such a degree that he could see through it. Akaki decided it would be necessary to take the cloak for repairs to Petrovich the tailor. At first, we are told only that Petrovich was a one-eyed, pockmarked tailor who lived up a dark staircase and busied himself repairing clothes when he wasn't drunk or otherwise scheming. Then, on the grounds that it is customary for all characters in a novel to be clearly defined, the narrator adds that he was once a gentleman serf, drank heavily on all holidays, and was married to a woman who could lay no claim to beauty. As he ascended the staircase, which smelled of spirits— Akaki pondered what he was willing to pay, and decided on a limit of two rubles. Passing through the smoky kitchen, he found Petrovich seated on the table like a Turkish pasha, angrily growling at a needle he had been unable to thread. Akaki preferred it when Petrovich was downhearted or drunk, for then he was much more likely to come down on the price. Then Akaki, who had a habit of speaking in scraps of phrases, stumbled over a statement of why he had come while Petrovich scanned his uniform from collar to cuffs. Petrovich took Akaki's cloak, spread it out, looked at it hard, and shook his head, declaring that it was a wretched garment beyond repair. There was no way around it. Akaki would need a new cloak. When Akaki asked what that would cost, Petrovich said, with lips pursed for powerful effect, that it would require at least a 150 rubles. Akaki beseeched Petrovich to repair his own cloak instead, but Petrovich insisted it would be a waste of time and money. Akaki went out into the street as if in a dream, lamenting aloud his circumstances, turning away from home without realizing it, and getting again a hat full of rubbish as he walked under a window. Only when brought back to awareness by a watchman did he head toward home. There, he gathered his thoughts and resolved to return when Petrovich was in a better mood and could be reasoned with. On Sunday, he did just that.